0: What a refreshing time just remembering our Lord's death on the cross for our sins. And it's uh, encouraging for me to hear the gospel, the reminders of the gospel, just from another voice and our songs as well. So I want to appreciate that, brothers and sisters. Uh, We continue our worship service now as we uh, look to God's word. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of Psalms this morning, Psalm 119. Uh, While we are going through a series in Isaiah, we're also kind of going through a series in the Psalm, Psalm 119, actually. It's kind of a uh, long-term series that I just, every once in a while, I just want to go back and take another stanza within uh, Psalm 119 because it is this beautiful psalm that reminds us so much of the treasure and the preciousness of God's Word. Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40 is our text this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for in it is the revelation of you. Lord, we thank you and praise you. That the heavens and the earth and the skies and all that is around us, this world declares your glory. And yet, Lord, what the universe, what creation declares to us, and in general, we see specifically revealed in your scriptures. We see, Father, who you are, who we are. We thank you, Father, that you that in it you reveal to us our purpose in this world, and our relationship with you, and how we can fulfill our purpose because of that relationship. Lord, we thank you that is that we have your word and that we can understand it only because of you. And so, Lord, we ask of you this morning that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, once again, may your spirit guide us into your truth, teach us your truths, give us understanding and knowledge that we might live according to it. Help us to abide in your word, Lord. And Father, as many of us here may be needing a revival in our souls and encouragement and through the things that we're facing in our daily daily lives. We ask of you, Father, that you would revive us through your word. Renew our strength as we look to your word and hear from you, Lord, today, causing us a longing for you and your word. We ask, Lord, that you would be glorified through all that goes forth from this pulpit now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen one of the responsibilities that I have as a pastor and the other elders of this church have as as shepherds of this church is that we have a responsibility to make sure that the the flock is, is a healthy, growing flock. And every once in a while we might ask ourselves, we do ask ourselves, what is the health of the flock? What is the spiritual condition, the spiritual life of the flock as a whole? And we kind of wonder about, when you ask that question, Really, what we're asking is, uh, if, is just like a shepherd might look at his flock, he might ask, is it healthy or growing? Is, uh, is it how the, the spiritual life, the, the, life uh, the physical well-being of the flock is, is it a healthy, growing flock? And that's what a lot of times when it, when it comes to the word, when it comes to evaluating the church, when I look at the church and I think about how is this church doing? What's the spiritual condition of the church? And it's very simplest, I'm just asking, is this a growing flock? Now, hopefully, if you have a flock of sheep, you want it to multiply. And there's that sense, too. You. you hope the, the church grows in numbers. But even beyond that, when it comes to each individual member of the flock, we want to ask ourselves, is that member, is that of the flock growing? Uh, maybe in size and in, in health and fatness and all that stuff. But really, we're asking, is this person growing in the things that God's word speaks about, describes for us, that should manifest, uh, that, that should manifest a, a follower of Christ? And I think when we think about the follower of Christ, the number one thing we should be asking ourselves, are we growing in love? Jesus Christ summarized all of the, the law and the commandments by one great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then second, he added, the second is like it, to love your neighbors yourself. So when we evaluate, are we how are we doing growing wise? You know, like, if someone ever asks you that, how are you doing? How's your spiritual walk? You know how I used to just kind of answer, well, I'm reading my Bible and I'm doing my devotions sometimes, we I'm praying. That doesn't tell you tell me your spiritual condition. Those might be the means by which you may grow healthy. But really, I'm asking, when I someone asks you how are you doing spiritually, how are you doing in your walk, are you growing? Are you growing in your walk with god are you growing in your love for god are you growing in your love for others and that and, that, and then you can how you show your love for god is manifest in, in how you keep when you whether you keep his commandments uh all the commandments that he may have in scriptures could fall under love for god but then the, when we talk about love for neighbors how am i growing in that area do i have more love for my fellow neighbors for my fellow brothers and sisters in christ do i serve them do i seek to encourage them do i seek to uh spur with them to to love and good deeds And then we talk about love for neighbors extending to our world. How are we doing as a a church in our love for our neighbors across the street, our neighbors around the world? Do we have compassion for them? Do we have mercy towards them? Do we want to have a desire to share with them the good good news of Jesus Christ? And do we do that? All these things would reflect the general health of a church and the general health of a believer in Christ. Now we might ask ourselves when we look at our lives we may we may say to ourselves well i'm growing in some areas but i'm not growing in others or maybe you might just simply say well i don't feel like i'm growing much at all what is the cure what is the solve what is this remedy for when the church and when we as followers of christ don't grow peter has this suggestion for us in first peter 2 2 like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it he may grow in respect to salvation. With respect to the salvation that we have, this life that we have in Christ, that we're growing, that we're, <clears throat> that, God, that God is doing a work in us, we can grow just like uh, through the milk of the word, through t- intaking God's word. Uh, <clears throat> many of you who have young babes at home uh, can attest to the fact that when you keep feeding your baby's milk, they grow. Okay, and that just miracle of things and they become adults at some point as long as you keep feeding them you don't feed them they generally won't grow that's amazing so simple but profoundly true the things the longing for milk is what helps a babe to seek after that which helps him or her to grow and the same thing can be said of the Christian life what do you long for your longing, hopefully it is a longing for the milk of the word of God because it's through the longing for the word that God uses the word, his word to cause us to grow in respect to our salvation. I think if we're all honest with ourselves we could probably evaluate our lives and and I was reading and reflecting on this text and I looked at my my own life between us and said, man, I don't what I just read here in verse 33 to 40 is not always characteristic of my life. Is it always characteristic of your life? Is this your desire? And if it is, praise God, if that is your desire, I would venture to guess that you are growing and you're doing very well and you're healthy in your Christian faith. But if you're not doing well in your Christian faith, if you're not, your walk is not growing, you don't feel like you're growing, then I would venture to guess that you're not longing for the pure milk of the word. That you're not longing for God's word to the extent that then you are intaking it in your life. Today's passage is a wonderful encouragement for those of us that are right there. It encourages us to long for God's word. I know I can just simply say, everybody, let's long for God's word. There we go. Let's all go home now and let's go do it. But I think there's lessons in here that can inspire us but give us practical help for how we ought to long for God's word. What we can do to long for God's word. And it's kind of surprising. It'll be surprising to us, I hope. A longing as we look at this uh, this passage, this text this morning, uh, Psalm one nineteen, verse thirty three to forty forty. It's in this context of the the bigger psalm, Psalm one nineteen. Psalm one nineteen has as its theme the word of God, <clears throat> God's word. It is the longest psalm in all of the <clears throat> in all of the psalter, and it is an acrostic psalm. You know, you know the <clears throat> that is every. Stanza of eight verses, each begin with the same Hebrew letter in order. So there are twenty-two Hebrew letters, and and each stanza that all twenty from the first through the twenty-second begin with that respective Hebrew letter. Here in this fifth stanza, we're at the fifth stanza now. It be every verse begins with the Hebrew letter, hey, not he. Okay, hey, hey, and in this, uh, as its theme is that it is. expresses a longing for God's word. In the fourth stanza, the psalmist had sought to walk in the way of God's word. He knew that he was a stranger, a sojourner, an alien, and this was not his home. In order to survive, he needed the survival manual, in a sense, and that was God's word. And so in this fifth stanza, the psalmist kind of elaborates on that recognition of his need for God's word by expressing his longing for God's word. He breaks out into, actually, he breaks out into prayer. Prayer and asking God to reveal his word to him. It's a longing that's reflected in prayer. And in, in our, if we have a longing for God's word, it also ought to be reflected in prayer. Because when we want, <clears throat> if we want more of God's word, we need to talk to the one who can provide it. That is God himself. Every verse in this uh, in this stanza, 33 through 40, Reflects a prayer. It's a prayer request. And I, I was tempted just to give you eight points, you know, eight points. Eight verses, eight points. Eight prayer requests. But we could summarize eight of them into four. We could summarize it into two sometimes as well. But I'm going to break it down to four points, four general prayer requests for us today. Just, I, I kind of put something in there. I was really debated whether I did. You know, in and, and some they tell you, don't talk about the Greek and Hebrew, okay? You know, because that's just like, Bleh. But it's just so neat. That I have to share it to you with you because I think it's fun and just encouraging and that maybe some of you will become Hebrew scholars someday because this is something that's interesting. Now, what's kind of neat—just observing the text—every verse begins. I told you, begins with the letter H, okay, the letter or the letter Hey. But it's also every verse except for the eighth verse begins with a command, an imperative. It's a command. It's the psalmist is commanding, if you will. He's giving a. a a, a verb, a, a, a request of God. But each of these commands, and the commands have different, uh, each their verbs, they all have different stems. Okay, I don't, well, let's say it's just a form of, of the Greek, of the Hebrew. And this, they're all in the hiphil stem, okay? This is not the normal stem. The normal stem is called, I won't tell you what the normal stem is, but it's an unusual stem. It's a hiphil, And one of the markers is that it begins with H, okay? Hey, so you kind of look at, oh, that verb has, begins with H. That's So, but what does that mean when it has a hiphil stem? It means it has this idea of this, of a causative idea, a causative. Then when the verb, when he puts it in the hiphil stem, he's actually saying, I'm not commanding this of God so much. But he's recognizing that the God, he's asking God to cause this to happen. So whatever verb we find is in the hiphil stem, he's saying, cause this to happen of God. It's profound. In fact, in seminary, when we were trained to kind of translate Hebrew, we would, whenever we'd find a hiphil verb in the hifil, we'd always translate cause to. Just literally just write cause this. So if it's the verb read in hiphil, we'd say cause to read. If it's the verb teach, <coughs> to learn, uh, cause to learn. Cause to learn. So we would always translate cause. And what that kind of teaches us, which is, I, think, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm excited, is that there's recognition that God is the one who's going to cause us to long for God's word. You know, it would be a very major mistake for us to say, I learned today that I need to long for God's word, and therefore I'm going to go out and I'm going to just bear down. I'm going to get my Bible. I'm just going to open it. I'm going to read it every single day. I'm going to make myself memorize it. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to listen to all the sermons on the radio today, 24. Whenever I have downtime, I'm just going to listen to sermons now, that's not bad if you you can do that. But it would be a mistake to say that it's, that reflects that it depends upon us when it doesn't depend upon us. This prayer reflect the dependence upon God. God, we must ask of God to cause us to long for God's word. God is the one who does what we need to do, what only can be done in our hearts. And so I think that's just kind of the neat thing about the April stem. If you didn't get that, just ignore it then, all right? But as we look at the outline today, four general prayer requests then that embody a longing for God's word. Do you long for God's word? These are the prayer requests that we should manifest in our lives. These are things that we'll be praying. Hopefully, these are some of the things that you pray. And if they're not, then we can take a better look. And maybe these are things we should start asking of God. The first prayer request is this. is a praying that God would cause you to know his word. Praying that God would cause you to know His word. We see in verse 33 and 34 Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. (coughs) Here in these two verses are two parallel requests of the Lord our God. The first request is Teach me, O Lord the verb teach me, uh, the verb for teach literally means to, to throw or to shoot something with a bow and arrow, okay? So to throw or shoot something. And so what's kind of, well, what is, how do you get teach from throw or, or shoot something? Well, in the causative stem, okay, causative, it means to cause to be thrown or cause to be shot. And so there's a, it's a picture there of if you want, it's, so when you throw something or when you shoot something, You are, what are you doing? You're directing it in a certain direction. You're guiding it. You're causing it to go this certain way. And the idea is this, that we're asking of God is, God, cause me to be thrown this way. Cause me to be shot this way. Cause me to be directed this direction. And which direction is that? The way of your statutes. Don't let me go this way. Don't let me go that way, Lord. But cause me to go this way. The way of your statutes, you see and so it 's just, just kind of really neat seeing how teach comes out of that, but you it 's just translated teach for us in, in effect it means teach me, O Lord but there 's a picture there for us what is he to, what do we ask what does he ask the Lord to teach him the way of your statutes now the word statutes here we may has a particular nuance, but if you remember in psalm one nineteen the psalmist uses eight different uh, synonyms, if you will, for the Word of God. Eight different terms for the Word of God, each having its own nuance, in depth, certainly, but in effect, they're all used interchangeably, somewhat poetically throughout this, this psalm for God's Word. Here, in fact, in this stanza, we find seven of the eight terms are used, Some of the, but the, the eight words are statutes, law, commandment, testimony, word, ordinance, and precept. Those are the all eight, and in fact, the only one that's not used here is uh, the one for word. But back in verse 12, the psalmist had asked God to teach me your statutes, teach me your word. But here, you notice, the psalmist goes further, and he prays to God, teach me, not just your statutes, but teach me the way of your statutes. I love that, the way of your statutes. The word for way, we saw it was prevalent in this, the previous, the fourth stanza, and it carries into this one somewhat. It figuratively refers to one's course, one's manner of life, basically how you live. So he's not just asking God to let me, help me to cause me to, to know your statutes, but cause me to know the way of life that is characterized by your statutes. Help me to know the kind of life you want me to live. The course elect, I just don't want to know the commands, what they are, but help me to know the kind of life that I ought to live that reflects an obedience to your command because I shall observe it to the end. He wants to observe, He wants to keep God's word. He's not just asking for, uh, uh, to, to know things for, for knowledge, for just for knowledge's sake. He's asking for knowledge so that he might observe it, keep it. That's real important, I think, sometimes for us. And I, I would encourage us to think through like this, way, this way, especially for those of us that are, uh, we're in a pretty educated city we're in, here in San Francisco. We all have, most of us have, uh, will have college degrees and, and above and beyond. And so when we come on a Sunday morning, our, our culture, our background sort of ends up reflecting itself in, in church for us. That it's very, if you you know, just, if you ever just go to the breadth of churches out there, you'll find that we're a little more heavy on education. And we're, we're preaching 45 minutes, 50 minutes, sometimes 60 minutes sermons. Whoa, hold up. This is, is this college? Yeah, it's kind of like that. It, it, you kind of get that feel. But let's not mistake that, let's not forget that we're just like, you know, when we're in college, we just kind of like, okay, I just I know what, so I, so I need to know what's on the exam. We're not just learning for knowledge's sake so that we'll pass some tests. We're learning... So we might live. So we might live it out, observe it to the end. That's why the psalmist has, teach me. Cause me to know your word that I would live it. Live according to the way of your statutes. Now the second request in verse 34 is essentially the same request. Give me understanding. Cause me to understand your law in order for me to observe and keep that law. He further adds that this obedience would be with all his heart. He wants to obey God. You know, sometimes we obey God with a half-heartedness. Oh, I'll get us a half to." No, he wants to obey God with all his heart, with his whole being. And that obedience to God with a whole heart begins with a knowledge and understanding of God's word. The psalmist understands that the knowledge and understanding of God's word begins and comes from... It finds its source in God himself. Now, many of us, if we want to know God's word, we can walk away from here saying, well, I'm going to now read my Bible. Some of us want to go know God's word. You say, well, I'm going to go to Sunday school class. Oh, I can learn more about the Bible there. Some of us want to learn God's word, we'll listen to sermons. Or some of us want to learn God's word, we'll go to Bible school or seminary. But before all that, we should take a, le- a page, a lesson from the, the psalmist today. Let us ask of God. Let us begin with asking God to teach us, to cause us to know his word. Cuz God is the one who teaches his, us his word. And Jesus knew this, and Jesus why Jesus gave Jesus uh, in John 14:26 talks about the helper, the Holy Spirit who when the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I love that we have the Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. I may falter up here. I may stumble. I may make mistakes. But despite the imperfections of the the mouthpiece that stands here to speak and explain God's, God's word, it is God's Spirit that works in your heart. And you say, Oh, he said that, but he means this. He said that, but I'm I hear that. That God wants me to say to apply it this way in my life. The Spirit is at work in each of our lives, teaching us in different ways how to apply what is taught in the scriptures to each of our lives. If you want to learn anything, let us begin with praying and asking God the Spirit to teach us. But let it not be for learning for knowledge's sake, but learning for living's sake. Let's learn so that we might live according to the way of his statutes. Now, that's, <clears throat> and that's the second general prayer request that the psalmist makes. It leads into the second prayer request, that if you long for God's word, you'll also not only be praying that you will, he will cause you to know God's word, but you'll also be praying that God would cause you to live his word, that it will, we would live out his word. Because what use is it to know God's word if we don't live it? It's like knowing the gospel but not believing in it. That would be a complete sorrowful and pitiful state to be in. Verses 35 to 37, we see this emphasis on the life that is lived out, that he called, asked God to help him to live God's word. Make me walk in the path of your testimony, of, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. See, the worshiper of God here is going to seek God's help. To live out God's word, right? We're going to ask God to help us to live out His word. That's what the psalmist does. In verse thirty-five, he prays first of all that God would cause him to walk in the path of God's commandments. The word "path" here is a synonym to the word for "way." It could be translated a a beaten-down path, a path, a pathway, something that's clear. It's like if you're out in hiking in the mountains, you know, hiking in the hills, and there's, you know, basically, you could be lost deep in the woods. But once you find a beaten down path, that you find out, oh, that is the way I should go because others have walked this path before. And that is the way that I need. to make me walk in the the pathways. Don't just let me wander off into the woods, deeper into the forest. Oh, the way out must be through this way when there's no pathway there. Follow the pathways. He says, so he says, make me walk in the pathway of your commandments in God's word. And there's reason for why he does so. He says, says, I am for i delight in it his delight his joy not in the commandments direct exactly but his delight is in the path of his commandments he finds joy and pleasure in walking in the path of god's word and i hope if we we, those of us who are christians that we've been we're learning that we're coming to understand that we uh when you became a believer when you first became a christian You know, maybe you were under some kind of, you had this perception of what the Christian life looked like. I know I sure did. I came out of a life that was, you know, this typical college party life. So welcome to our college student, you know, uh, that's looking for a church. You know, I came out of that typical party Christian life. And so honestly, when I became a Christian, I thought the fun was going to stop. I just thought, okay, party stops here. No more, you know, that stuff that you do at college. No more of that stuff. Cause, and no more fun, you know, just going to be sober, reading the Bible, a lot of, you know, prayer. I kind of had this perception that it's going to be a sober, somber, quiet life. And, well, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing, actually. But <clears throat> that's what I thought. But it, the Christian life is not this boring, no fun, uh, no, uh, you know, like uh, life that, that, that God is basically, that we're condemned to live if we want to get to heaven. You know, that's, it's not, that's not the Christian life. as you, Hopefully you have understood as you walk the Christian life, you live the Christian life, you're in God's Word. You've come to learn that which brings joy and joy eternal. You've learned about the joy of knowing Christ. you learn about the joy of passing on Christ to others. And you see when you, and you know, just remember the last, think about the last time you saw someone come to same faith in Christ what joy that was. And then think about it as, you're, as you are teaching God's words, you're making disciples in the world, what joy it is when you see those whom you taught 20, 30 years ago in little junior church or in children, a children's primary church, primary Sunday school class, and now 20, 30 years later, they are still walking in the truth. No greater joy than these kinds of things. And yes, as Christians, yes, you can have a lot of fun. We, have, we had our fall festival not too long ago, and it sure looked like a lot of fun as we served the Lord together. It's, God's way can be, is a delight. And so he, and it's because the psalmist delights in the way, the path of God's commandments, he's asking that he would cause him to live out his word. The psalmist's prayer here is for his walk. And the next two verses of verse 36 and 37 are two areas of his walk, of his life, that are particular, of, our, of particular significance. Their particular significance for our own walk too as well is your heart and your eyes. Where's your heart? Where's your eyes? In verse 36, he prays, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. He prays that God would cause his heart to incline to God's word. What does that mean to incline to God's word? It means to turn or to bend. To cause to turn or bend towards back to God's word. The psalmist understands, just as I hope many of you understand, that our heart, left to our own devices, our sin our heart that's affected by the curse of sin has a bent towards it. That it's prone to wander. Oh Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, right? We are prone to given our, take, given our own sinful uh, nature if you take us away from the things that God has used to sanctify us, if you take a, a Christian away from church setting, when you remove from the body of Christ, when you take that Christian you, you do not allow him to be in the word, you do not allow him or her to pray, and you thankfully you cannot take the spirit away. but these are the means of grace by which God used to sanctify you take him away from that setting. On our own, you may do okay for the first couple of days or weeks, but on our own, our sinful heart tends to incline back to our own ways. Or maybe that's just me. We tend to incline ourselves to serving self, to loving self, instead of to serving God, to loving God. It seems and that's why he tosses it, don't lean me down towards dishonest gain. We start seeking after things for ourselves instead of thinking for that which is of God. So he prays that God would bend his heart back toward the path of God's word. Bend me back, incline me to your word to follow your ways. In verse thirty-seven, he prays that also that God would cause his eyes to turn away. From looking at things that are vain, our eyes are the kind of like the, the the gates by which temptation may come. We see things in our world, we observe things, and just like Eve in the in the garden, you think about that story of she saw the fruit, and she evaluated herself. She thought it was good for you, and made to make one wise, and she then wanted to eat it of herself. So it was a temptation, and many things that we put our eyes on, we set our eyes, we focus on, can become sources of temptation for us. The things that we watch with our eyes, the things that we see, the things that we focus on, can become idols of the heart. At best, they are material things that will burn up one day and have no impact on eternity. But at worst, though, they, they do become idols that draw us away because we, our eyes are on those things rather than upon God. And they lead us away from God. Wandering hearts, wandering eyes produce a dying spiritual life. You're either growing or you're not growing. You're dying. And so the psalmist prays for his walk, for his heart, for his eyes. He's asking God, cause me to live your word. What is your heart inclined to? What are your eyes set upon? If they are not on the things of God, especially on the things of Christ, if those are not just the focus of your heart and eyes, if you're, if you're not walking according to God's ways, then I'm gonna, I will guess right away that your walk with him is not doing well. Like the church in Ephesus, you've left your first love. Maybe you're here and you're just going through the motions. What should you do? Ask God. Call it repent and ask God to cause you to live his word. That he would cause you to delight in it once again. They remove those things and hinder you from living out God's word. And that he would revive you in your ways. In, his, according, in according to his ways. Now, this prayer request implies that there are obstacles. It re- refers to obstacles to our living out God's word. And which is why the, we get to our third op- third prayer request that the psalmist makes, and that is a longing for God's word leads the psalmist to pray, that, and we should pray, that pray that God would cause you to abide in his word. There are many things that can hinder us from remaining or obey, continue to obey God's word. And that's reflected in the, verse 38 and 39. Verse 38 and 39. Establish your word to your servant is that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach which I dread for your ordinances are good. One of the reasons that we don't continue living out his word that's reflected here is unbelief. We just don't believe God's word. We don't believe what God has said. We don't believe, even though we would say intellectually, head nods, oh yes, it's true. But the way we live our life reflects that we don't believe in. We don't believe that his blessedness comes from walking in, in, his, in his word and according to his way. We don't believe that trusting in him and leaning not on our own understanding will, will, lead, uh, will lead to him making our path straight. We don't believe that we'll grow through simply feeding off the words of God and many other promises that He makes, and it reflects in our our life, our walk. The psalmist prayer in verse thirty-eight seems to be aware of this unbelief, this hindrance, and so he asks God to cause him to to cause to stand. Now that's literally the verb is literally stand. So, but you translate cause to stand, and thus giving the sense of establish or confirm. Or fulfill. Some of your translations have ask God to fulfill your word to your servants, confirm your word to your servant. As God fulfills His promises to us, whether it's for peace when we ask for peace, whether it's for comfort, for salvation of souls, for wisdom, for direction, for strength, and for a whole host of other promises that God's word reveals, and we're, that we're not sure we don't have, we feel like we don't, we're not quite believing it. Ask God to fulfill him and as god fulfills it what will happen is that that fulfillment that establishing of his word will produce reverence worship fear a rightful fear of god as he fulfills his promises our faith in his word is strengthened and we're encouraged then to abide in his word because we realize that god is trustworthy god is faithful He's the Almighty, and He will fulfill His word, and we can believe in it. And so that's why we need to pray. God will establish His word to us, fulfill His promises, because it, <clears throat> our unbelief sometimes leads us astray. Now, the second reason that's kind of kind of uh, can be we can draw from this verse thirty nine that why we don't live out His word is because of fear. And this is really very quite understandable. We are simply afraid of the consequences of believing, or living out, or speaking out of God's word. Many of us here in San Francisco know this to be true. I think all of us, we all probably live in in homes. Many of us live in homes where we're not. We may be the only believer, and a lot of other unbelievers in, in the family. Many of us attend schools where you're probably going to public school, Or you're in a classroom where you may be one of a few, only a few Christians many of you are going are at work where you may be the single or, or two or three Christians in the whole workplace, and we all live in a city where I have no idea if there's a single Christian in our city government, in our city council, or in our mayor's office. I have no idea, and I would imagine if you would dare to speak out in your, well, you, you probably would in your home. It's your family, hopefully, but in your school class or in your work or in city government if you would speak even simply basically about how jesus christ is the only way to salvation for the forgiveness of our sins you would be called narrow-minded right people would say do you really believe that but there's much more to call all the sins in the scriptures sin could get some of you in trouble And sometimes, when because of we understand that in the city, that there's in in our schools and our workplaces, that there's genuinely not there's there's, we understand that there is reproach or contempt of the things of God's word, that it causes us to be a little fearful of speaking out God's word. Hopefully, we're not foolish in how we go about it, but there needs to be wisdom and, and courage in speaking out in an appropriate manner. And this fear, though, this this reproach and contempt that we feel is not unique to us, is it? The psalmist himself felt that fear for his reproach. Take away my reproach, which I dread. In fact, he was already experiencing this reproach back in verse 22 and 23 of Psalm 119. He had already asked God to take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. He knew his obedience to God's commands would bring reproach and contempt on, upon him. And not only that, but it was coming at the hands of the leaders, his civil, civic leaders, the princes, his rulers even. And that's a scary place to be. And so the psalmist dreaded his reproach. And so he asked God, he praised God, cause, cause to pass away the reproach of my enemies, cause this reproach that I'm experiencing to, to pass away, to, to move all, move along because I'm fearful of it. I dread it. And even while praying this, though, he reminds himself that that as he, though he, he's though he's tempted to not continue to, to live and abide in God's word, he remembers for why he ought to because your ordinances are good. For God's ordinances are good. God's word is a good thing. We're tempted, and when you are tempted to be ashamed of it, remember that God's word is good. When people are ridiculing you, mocking you, scorning you because of the word of God, remember that the word of God is good not only for you, but it's also good for the very ones who scorn and mock and ridicule you. They need the word of God. Don't be ashamed of the word of God. I know sometimes we get afraid of the word to share the word of God to people that are like that, but they desperately need the word of God. It is good for everyone yourself and for them so we pray ask god help cause me to abide in your word remove the unbelief remove the fears cause your word promise help me to cause your word to be fulfilled so that my heart my faith will be strengthened and take away the reproach from me is the prayer of the psalmist whether we wrestle with unbelief or fear, let us turn to God who is able to cause us to abide in his word. Such is the prayer of one who longs for him, for his word. Now when we get to verse 40, we find our fourth and final point. Where we see one last prayer request. And though the prayer request, I'm going to make it the fourth point, but it's really not the main point. Okay? The main point is a statement that's made in verse at the very beginning. But the, the fourth point is praying that God would revive you by his word. In verse 40, the psalmist then writes, Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Verse 40 stands out. You can't miss this in the stanza. You just, even in our English text, you're going to read. It's a request, 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 All seven verses. And then we get to the eighth eighth, la, eighth verse, the last stanza. last verse of the stanza. There's no request. It's just, oh, there is a request. It's in the latter part. But it begins with a statement. Behold. I long for your precepts. The psalmist is making a declaration to God that he longs for God's precepts. Really, he's just summarizing everything that he's been expressing by his prayer request. Why is he been asking to, to know God's word, to live God's word, to abide in God's word? Because, Lord, behold, I long for your precepts. I need your precepts. I need your word. Is this our prayer? Do we pray this? Lord, I, I need you. I need your word. I need your, your precepts, your, 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 your truths. The thoughts of his fears and frustrations cause him to cry out to God with his desperate need. I long and need your precepts. He prays, and then he prays, that God would revive him He needs God's word, and he asks, then, God, to revive him. Revive me. Here's the prayer request. Revive me through your righteousness. The word revive means to restore him, to give him new strength, to live, to give him life. But notice, it's kind of unexpected when he says, revive me through your righteousness. You know what I expected? Revive me through your word. That's what I expected after these eight verses. And it says, he said, revive me through your righteousness, God. Earlier in verse 25, he had already said, revive me according to your word. In verse 37, he said, revive me according to your way. So, so what we are learning here, that certainly God's word reveals God's righteousness. But the reason why he longs, <clears throat> he's longing for God's word is because God's word ultimately is a revelation of him. And when he's expressing, when we long for God's word, we're really not just longing for the book. We're longing for the book because the book tells us of him. And the psalmist's ultimate need is not the book, but it's the need for God. It's the need for the God who's revealed in the book. So that's why he, he, he correctly writes, revive me through your righteousness, God. It's your righteousness that I need. It's your righteous character because on my own, I only have, what I can offer is sin. What I offer is unrighteousness. In and of ourselves, what we have to offer is our sinful nature. And our sinful nature leads us away from God. But why we need God, we need his Righteousness. Righteous, his righteousness gives life to the servant of God. Now you can't really, you can't help but see here the the hint of the gospel in this. That this is a general principle that He's praying, revive me through Your righteousness, through Your character, God. Your righteous character, revive me. But that's a that's a when you apply it, when you kind of move all the way to the New Testament, that's a very gospel thought, isn't it? That revi- when we ask God to give us life, it is through the righteousness of God. It is through Christ's righteousness that we are, we are revived. It's not through our righteousness. We can never work or earn our salvation, but we are revived. We're given new life through the righteousness of Christ who died on the cross for sins that we just observed and remembered through communion. So, whether and that help that we need from Christ, his righteousness is we not only we need it for salvation, but we need it. That righteousness for our spiritual lives as well. We can't revive ourselves, brothers and sisters. Only God can revive us through his word, through the revelation of his character. We need help from God. We long. We need to long for God. And if we long for God, then we should long for his word because he is revealed in his word. Jesus would say, oh, t- Jesus would, and this is the New Testament, the the gospel thought of it. Blessed are those hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Brothers and sisters, how is your walk with God? How is your walk with God? Are you growing? I hope so. And that's great. If that is so, praise God. But maybe... For most of us here, we can see areas in our life that, well, I'm growing in this area, but I'm not doing so well in this area. I could grow a little more in this area. If we want to grow, want to continue to grow, the response is not to go out right now and just jump into God's word. So that, is, that, will be, that is a legitimate application be in the word of God. That's just as first Peter two two talks about. But what this Psalm teaches us, this stanza, a particular stanza teaches us that if we want to grow, then let us long for God's word, but let us let us long for God's word. And let's show our longing for God's word through prayer. Through prayer first and foremost. Before we read, before we hear, before we memorize, before we study, let us pray. Ask of God, and ask of God, our our Lord, cause me to know your word. Cause me to live your word. Cause me to abide in your word. And revive my spiritual life through your righteousness that's revealed within May that be our prayer, brothers and sisters, that we will continue growing as a healthy church, because we're longing for God's word. Because we long in there, in it we find the God whom we need desperately. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this passage that reminds us of our need to ask of you. That even when, as we treasure the word of God, and we know that that is which. That your word is an um, instrument through which we grow, we're reminded then that we really need to begin with prayer. So we pray, Lord, and ask, help us to grow. Help us to grow in our spiritual lives, Father. Help us to grow through your word, but help us to grow through your righteousness, your character, that your, your, <clears throat> your work in our lives, as we long for your word, what cause us to know it, cause us to live according to it, help and cause us, Father, to abide in it. That you would establish your word, fulfill it, its purposes, that we might grow with respect to our salvation and be the kind of church that you wish us to be, To reflect Christ in a world that is desperately in need of Christ. Looking for leaders, not knowing that we just simply need Christ. Father, help us to be such light. This day, this week, and this year, and the years ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.